Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Crombie REITs Q4 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on February 24, 2022. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Ms. Ruth Martin. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Crombie REIT's fourth quarter conference call and webcast. Thank you for joining us. This call is being recorded in live audio and is available on our website at www.crombie.ca. Slides to accompany today's call are available on the investor section of our website under presentations and events. On the call today are Don Klo, President and Chief Executive Officer, Clinton Kay, Chief Financial Officer and Secretary, and Glenn Hines, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements. As always, we want to caution you that such statements are based on management's assumptions and beliefs. These forward-looking statements are subject to uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from such statements. Please see our public filings, including our MDNA and Annual Information Form, for a discussion of these risk factors. I will now turn the call over to Don, who will begin our discussion with comments on Crombie's overall strategy and outlook. Glenn will follow with a development update and a review of Crombie's operating fundamentals and highlights. Clinton will then discuss our financial results, capital allocation, and approach to funding. And Don will conclude with a few final remarks. Over to you, Don. Thank you, Ruth, and good day, everyone. And thanks for joining us. I'm incredibly proud of Crombie's results in both Q4 and fiscal 2021. Our team remains steadfastly committed to our strategy while successfully navigating through the waves of the COVID-19 pandemic. Results of this commitment are evident in the growth of our same asset cash NOI, FFO, and AFFO, and in the fair value created through our investment in empire-related initiatives, our development activities, and owning grocery-anchored properties that have grown even more precious in value over time. We reached many milestones in 2021, including the completion of two major mixed-use developments, Zephyr in Vancouver with our partner West Bank, and Leduc in Montreal with our partner Prince Developments. When I think back five years as we embarked on our development growth strategy, I'm thrilled to be able to say we did what we said we would do. The market recently is recognizing that commitment to creating value, strategic growth, and strong fundamentals, and our unit price performance has demonstrated investors' confidence in us as good stewards of their capital. Thank you. We continue to improve our portfolio in 2021. Grocery-anchored retail is the foundation of our business and is one of the most desirable and valuable asset types in Canada. In addition, residential and industrial properties are gaining space in our asset mix and represent an area of significant growth opportunity in the future. The deliberate improvement of our portfolio over the last 10 years has increased the quality and growth of our cash flow. Our development and construction teams oversaw several successful projects across Canada in 2021 for major developments, land use intensification, and investments in empire-related initiatives. There remains plenty of development opportunity for Crombie, and Glenn will speak to the specifics shortly, but I want to commend the team on the incredible success with these projects over the last few years, especially during the pandemic. I also want to thank our joint venture partners, West Bank and Prince Developments for outstanding results working together. Our development pipeline presents significant value creation opportunities that to date have met or exceeded our expectations. Our relationship with Empire remains Crombie's sustainable competitive advantage. Working closely with this outstanding retailer creates unique opportunities and we continue to align strategies and share intelligence to create value for both of us. This alignment allows us to make strategic and accretive investments in the modernization, acquisition, expansion, and conversion of grocery stores, accelerate Empire's build-out of its e-commerce hub and spoke network, and unlock additional major development opportunities. We know that a strong financial condition enables future growth. 
We achieved increases in liquidity and improvement in our cost of capital and an increase in unencumbered assets to $1.8 billion during 2021. Significant deleveraging took place throughout the year with a substantial reduction in debt to gross fair value and debt to EBITDA, which Clinton will speak to shortly. It is worth remarking, though, that despite this deleveraging, which is dilutive to earnings, we still achieved strong results, a feat that is not easy to accomplish. None of this success would be possible without our team and their dedication to Crombie. These past two years have been challenging for so many. In our new hybrid working arrangement, we've remained productive, close, connected, and engaged, while also juggling provincial lockdowns, restrictions, homeschooling, and more. We are well positioned with our team as we look ahead with optimism at the continued execution of our strategy, which our team is a fundamental and critical pillar. We work hard to ensure that Crombie is an equitable, gratifying, and innovative workplace. A continued focus on learning and development, employee-defined guiding principles, and ongoing opportunities for growth are critical components of our employment value proposition. We've helped our people leaders work with their teams to build a model that fits for all, and we're very pleased with the results. Before I hand the call over to Glenn, I wanted to comment on sustainability, which includes ESG. 2021 was a big year for Crombie on formalizing our sustainability journey. We achieved many firsts, including our inaugural sustainability report and first Gresby submission. We're very proud of the work we've done to focus on environmental, social, and governance priorities and are now pleased to focus on measuring, reporting, and improving on that work. With that in mind, in January, we created a new leadership position to oversee this important work. Our newly appointed Vice President of Sustainability is Dan Bork who most recently served as Crombie's Director of Operations for Atlantic Canada and has been a leader on our team for over 18 years. Dan has been instrumental in many of our environmental initiatives at Scotia Square and Avalon Mall and is president of BOMA Nova Scotia and sits on the board of BOMA Canada. We are excited to continue on the sustainability journey with such solid leadership. Good luck to Dan. And with that, I'll now turn the call over to Glenn, who will provide an update on our development activity and operational highlights. Thank you, Don, and good day, everyone. Crombie continues to demonstrate our ability to deliver major developments on time and on budget with strong consistency. These major developments play a key role in our long-term strategy of accelerating fair value and AFFO growth. Crombie achieved substantial completion of our first two mixed-use residential developments in 2021. Zephyr, located on Davie Street in the west end of Vancouver, reached full occupancy in the fall and remains at that level with rents materially above pro forma. Leasing momentum continues at Leduc in Montreal with 37% or 145 of the 387 available units leased as of February 15th of this year at rents at or above pro forma. Our third mixed-use residential development, Bronte Village in Oakville, contains 481 units and Tower A welcomed its first tenants in the third quarter. The occupancy permit for Tower B was just received and substantial completion was reached in January, slightly behind the targeted Q4 2021 substantial completion date that we previously shared. To date, 92 units or 38% of Building A has been leased. Our 100% lease Montreal Voila Par IGA Customer Fulfillment Center took economic occupancy and began paying rent in the first quarter of 2021. In December, we sold a 50% non-managing interest in this CFC to Nexus REIT for $98.2 million. This transaction allowed Crombie to achieve deleveraging objectives and capitalize on strong demand for industrial assets while highlighting the quality of our retail-related industrial portfolio and our attractiveness as a partner in completing joint arrangements where Crombie retains both an ownership interest and ongoing property management. Crombie continues to capitalize on opportunities within the Voila hub and spoke network. Construction of CFC3 in Calgary is well underway to meet Empire's opening date objectives. The first spoke location in our portfolio opened in the first quarter of 2021 in Toronto. At this location, we repurposed vacant retail space to create additional value. We have other spokes under construction with Empire possession and rent commencement occurring imminently. Hubs and spoke locations are augmenting our growing base of retail-related industrial assets and further diversifying our income stream. During the fourth quarter, one additional property was added to our major development pipeline, bringing the total to 31 properties with the potential to unlock significant future value 
Broadview is a jointly owned transit-oriented medium-term development sitting on 1.43 acres in Toronto. We are committed to unlocking significant land value embedded in our development pipeline as we continue our work to entitle projects across Canada for their highest and best use as major development projects. Currently, Krabi has six projects that are fully entitled, two other near-term projects where zoning applications have been submitted, and a number of additional medium to long-term projects where entitlement work is actively underway. We are upping our game to accelerate our entitlement activities as the value created from these efforts is significant. There are three distinct opportunities where value recognition can be realized on development assets. Firstly, as just noted, when final entitlement of development lands is achieved. Secondly, when substantial completion of a development project occurs. And lastly, throughout the lease up and stabilization process as NOI and value is fully optimized. Throughout 2021 and now in 2022, as additional land entitlements are finalized, substantial construction completions achieved, and the lease up and stabilization process is continuing, Prombi has and will continue to recognize additional fair value. In summary, we have a significant opportunity to supplement the value creation from completed developments alongside material value creation throughout the entitlement process, a very complementary two-prong approach. Prombi's year-end occupancy remains strong, with economic occupancy at 95.6% and committed occupancy at 96.2%. New leases and expansions increased occupancy by 710,000 square feet at a weighted average first-year rate of $20.92 per square foot. While we experienced 339,000 square feet of net lease expiries, vacancies, terminations, and space adjustments, approximately 71% of new leases, equivalent to 503,000 square feet, were completed in VECTOM and major markets. At the end of 2021, 114,000 square feet was committed to leases at an average first-year rate of $18.76 per square foot, which will boost NOI growth throughout 2022. Beccom and major markets represent 90,000 square feet of this committed space, including 42,000 square feet at our Scotia Square Complex in Halifax. During the fourth quarter, 97,000 square feet of renewals were completed at an increase of 5% over expiring rental rates. Driving this growth was 58,000 square feet of renewals at retail plazas, with an increase of 6.1% over expiring rental rates. An increase of 6.8% was achieved for fourth quarter renewals when comparing the expiring rental rates to the average rental rate for the renewal term. For the full year, Brahmi demonstrated portfolio stability with approximately 47.2% of renewals occurring in Beckdom and major markets. Renewal activity consisted of 905,000 square feet with an increase of 3.4% over expiring rental rates or, or growth of 6.5% when comparing the expiring rental rate to the average rental rate for the renewal term. Subsequent to the quarter, Crombie acquired 100% interest in eight retail properties, seven from Empire, totaling approximately 290,000 square feet for the purchase price of $42 million excluding closing and transaction costs. One property was acquired in major markets with the remaining seven properties in rest of Canada markets. Additionally, Crombie acquired the remaining 50% interest in a retail-related industrial property in Montreal from Empire for $38 million, further expanding our retail-related industrial portfolio. And with that, I will now turn the call over to Clinton, who will highlight our fourth quarter financial results and discuss our capital and development funding approach. Thank you, Glenn, and good day, everyone. On a cash basis, quarterly same-asset NOI increased by 2.4% and 5% for the full year. Adjusting for what management estimates to be the impact of COVID-19, same-asset cash NOI increased by 1.2% for the fourth quarter and 1.4% for the full year. For the quarter, AFFO per unit was $0.25, cents, increasing from $0.23 cents for the same quarter last year. FFO per unit was $0.29, cents, increasing from $0.27 cents for the same quarter last year. FFO and FFO payout ratios in the quarter improved to 90.5% and 78.0% respectively. The increase in AFFO and FFO for the quarter is primarily a result of increased net property income due to income from completed developments, strong occupancy, lease termination income, 
and lower finance costs from operations, primarily due to the early partial redemption of Series B senior unsecured notes in 2020. This is offset in part by increased general and administrative expenses, primarily as a result of an increase in salaries and benefits and unit-based compensation resulting from an increase in our unit price. GNAS percentage of property revenue for the fourth quarter was 7.1% or $7.4 million. Excluding the impact of unit-based compensation of $2.6 million, GNA was 4.6% of property revenue. 2021 was a solid year for Crombie, as our team remained focused on the continuous improvement of our balance sheet and overall financial condition. Crombie accessed multiple sources of capital to reduce our debt levels in 2021, enabling continued funding of our development pipeline and empire-related initiatives. Our debt-to-gross fair value at the end of Q4 2021 was 42.9%, a noteworthy improvement from 49.4% at Q4 2020. The primary drivers of the improvement in our leverage ratio were an increase in fair value from our investment properties and net assets held in joint ventures of $290 million, a $100 million equity issuance, and debt repayment throughout 2021. Crombie ended the year with ample liquidity of over $500 million, and our unencumbered asset pool grew from $1.4 billion to a record high $1.8 billion as a result of mortgages maturing in the quarter. We ended the quarter with debt to trailing 12 months adjusted EBITDA at 8.25 times. The improvement was primarily due to increased outstanding debt and higher adjusted EBITDA driven by reduced bad debt expense and increased income from development activity, acquisitions, and modernizations. Having a strong balance sheet with significant liquidity is critical to ensure we retain the flexibility to handle the next crisis or pursue strategic growth initiatives. Access to multiple sources of capital to fund investments in empire-related initiatives and their development program is an important component to that flexibility. Subsequent to the fourth quarter, on January 31, 2022, Crombie demonstrated this flexibility with a successful $200 million equity financing with net proceeds used to repay outstanding indebtedness and fund value-add capital programs. With that, I will now turn the call over to Don for a few closing comments. Thank you, Clinton. Despite a world full of uncertainty, including the risks and challenges of COVID-19, we remain positive. That's why I'm, I'm very grateful for a Crombie team and a culture that allows us to be prepared for any kind of crisis. We continue to execute our long-term strategy in 2021 and are very proud of the results we achieved. Our recent equity issuance enabled us to pre-fund growth opportunities like developments and investments in empire-related initiatives, and our improved balance sheet and ample liquidity provides us the necessary defensive strength that allows us to focus on long-term sustainable growth. We are confident in Crombie's future, and our engaged, highly skilled, and high-performing team will continue to deliver. And that concludes our prepared remarks, and we're now happy to answer your questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to, to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Mark Rothschild with Canaccord. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, good afternoon, guys. Uh, Hi, Mark. Hey. Uh, in, in regard to the, to the leasing spreads, when, when I look at where the, the rates are on leases in the market and, and what's expiring this year, um, should, should we assume that, there, that there's potential for that number to rise um, in 2022 as compared to what we saw last year? Hey, Mark, it's Glenn. I would say, you know, we, we started in 2021 to disclose both the spread in the leases that occurs at the time of the rollover, which has been consistently in that sort of three and a half to five and a half percent range for the year. So Q4, our leasing spreads were five and a half, um, but for the full year, we were about three and a half. But when you look at the spread, the average uh, lease rate through the term, we were 6.5 for the year and about 6.8 in the quarter. Uh, we think that is certainly sustainable. We always thought high single digits was the range. Last couple of years, and I think for no surprising reason, with tenants struggling, COVID, et cetera, we did see some reduction down to that three, four, five percent range. 
but we're feeling pretty good. But our issue still, though, is sample size. Like in 2021, we had 900,000 feet renew, 350,000 of that was Sobeys leases. So some of those are one and a half percent a year rollovers, and some of them are rolling over at a 10% lift, say, every five years. So depending on the mix that's in our our uh, rollovers, that percentage can move around. But I would say with confidence that what we achieved in 2021, the 6.5% to 6.8% spread range, that that certainly looks comfortable going forward. So from your comments, I can assume that the mix for this year is relatively comparable to 2021? Yes. Okay. And then maybe just one more. Um, Donnie, you, you spoke about selling interest in properties and obviously the, the property they sold a partial interest to, to Nexus. Um, can maybe just expand on the types of assets you're looking to maybe in the future sell partial interest? And does it depend on the asset class at all, whether it's industrial or residential or retail? <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, our disposition program overall, we've done a lot of work in terms of just selling non-core over the last, really it's about four years. And then when we get into what I call core, uh, which are the partial interest dispositions that we've done. Uh, to be honest, we look at it partially as funding and partially as call it portfolio management. And the funding part we're looking at, I'll call it lower cap rate assets with call it relatively low growth, even if they are, um, you know, very stable, high quality cash flow. And it's really about torquing our AFFO growth up and taking advantage of low what I perceive to be reasonable cap rates uh, in certain asset classes. So, um, yes, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a balance of issues, Mark, I'd say that we consider, uh, and some of them I'll, I'll call it opportunistic. Uh, and in the case of Nexus, they were perceived by us to be, you know, a good partner and potential, depending on what we have coming up in the future, potential good partners. Uh, and, and, uh, and it was at a reasonable price and we were pleased with, you know, the, crystallizing our NAV creation. In that case, we also wanted to show the world that we, you know, can crystallize the NAV creation that's been achieved, uh, which I think from time to time is healthy. So maybe a rambling answer, but it's, it, you can see it's multifaceted and uh, we'll take them opportunistically probably as we come or as they come. Yeah, but it will be again, as Clinton says in his remarks, multiple sources of capital, which includes non-core dispositions, partial interest dispositions, equity, a variety of things, um, you know, to continue to fund the business and, and allow or enable our growth strategically. Okay, great. That's helpful. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Your next question comes from Sam Demiani with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thanks and good afternoon, everyone. Congratulations on a good quarter and year as well. Um, maybe just yeah, just to start off on the the develop like the long term development pipeline. The costing was updated. Uh, you added another million square feet with with the Broadview location in Toronto. But if I just look at the sort of the midpoint of the of the cost increase, it looks like around eighteen percent and. If you adjust for the 10% increase to the GLA, you know, would that is that basically an 8% you know same asset sort of cost increase? Or is that the inflation that you're seeing? Is that the right interpretation? And I guess when were the, when was the last time these numbers were, were scrubbed? Uh, so Sam, I, it's Donnie. I'll just briefly. Glenn wants to comment on inflation, and uh, uh, I, I will say that it's, it's certainly to some degree that. What I wanted to say was just that the um, there's value increase in the land uh, that is not insignificant, and it's continuous, right? And so the value of our sites in Vancouver, as an example, but also in other major urban centers, is continuing to to elevate, and the value, therefore, is is, is continuing to go up. Uh, but also, in addition, we're call it through our relationship with Sylvie's uncovering, I'll call it additional density. 
and, and the urban markets in, 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 you know, are also requiring or looking for additional density, right? Greening the uh, local communities by becoming denser. So taking advantage of transit, et cetera. So that's just the comment I wanted to make. Glenn, over to you. Yeah, I would just add, Sam, that the estimates that we put in the MDNA are, are ranges, as you know, and we scrubbed them a little bit this quarter to add broad view, yes. The other thing that we're doing is as we continue to refine the way we look at our development pipeline, we, for example, we, we look at those 31 properties through potentially the number of phases over time they could uh, deliver. And it just allows us to be a bit more accurate and a bit more granular. So I think in the math as well, you'll see that we went from about 12,000 units last quarter to closer to 13,000 units. We added a million square feet on the residential. So I think there might be some latent inflation in there, but there's no specific inflationary add of any big number, but it is reflecting of where our current cost is. But I just want to remark that those numbers as we put in each quarter, our best efforts of putting in a good solid range. And the update this quarter was to reflect broad view, as you noted, but also just a little bit better granularity as we look at how these projects may play out over the next 15 or so years. Okay, and I guess just when you when you look at you, you've got some operating properties, you know, one stabilized, others in lease up. I mean, is your sense that the the rent growth is keeping up with with cost inflation on the development side to keep the yields largely intact? What's, just, what's your updated view there? Yeah, I would I would say that it, it as a whole, rents continue to go up. If there's there's a shortage of housing, you know, national immigration is high, and then the urban markets is where that national immigration tends to focus. Uh, and so I, I'd say that for now, uh, Sam, I mean that's always the thing. We've all seen our you know way through a number of cycles in development, and it's when supply exceeds demand that you can have a, a you know call it continued cost increases and um, you know, some relaxation of rental growth where you can't pass that cost on to the consumer. We're not there yet in our judgment in the market that we're dealing in. Um, and, uh, you know, in particular, Vancouver rents are nicely up. Montreal rents are nicely up, not quite as much in Toronto. But, you know, in general, you know, again, there's there's still not enough housing for people and continued population growth. So we're quite, I think, over the medium long term, there is no issue uh, with continuing uh, to build, you know, great housing, uh, and especially in sites like we own, which has a grocery store near transit nodes, et cetera. So, yeah, some of the most highly desirable sites in the country. That's great. Thanks. I'll I'll turn it back. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Your next question comes from Mario Sarek with Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon. Um, Donnie, you, uh, Donnie, in the past you talked about one to two dollars of uh, per unit of fair value creation uh, from the near-term development completions. As these projects kind of go, as they go through these three kind of milestones that Glenn highlighted, kind of namely zoning, substantial completion, and successful leasing, and if you take into consideration kind of the recent equity raise, increasing the number of units, and then perhaps the higher than expected yields at Zephyr. Now, can you can you highlight your comfort level in terms of being at the upper end of that range versus lower end of the range today? How that's changed, and then uh, perhaps how much of that one to two dollars has already been reflected in your fair values? Yeah, you know we're still in the range, uh, Mario, and I'd say still in the middle upper. I mean the equity raise does uh, you know affect it to some degree for sure. My count was on what we had when I said it the first time, which I think was probably 2019. But nevertheless, it's still extraordinary value creation. And I think the math at the time was 150 to $300 million of value creation, and we're in the upper end of that range. Uh, and then in terms of what's recognized, obviously with Bronte, uh, because we didn't get occupancy permit, it hasn't been recognized, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the bump in fair value, I think, in Q4. So there's still obviously some to go. And on some of our other projects, there's still some to go still based on stabilization of income. So we still have a ways to go. Uh, I can't give you the specific numbers. I, I don't really, you know, we're talking fair value. I think at the time I was talking NAV. So I, I'd say we're still very confident and comfortable with, you know, the numbers I quoted a few years ago, which I'm pretty pleased that I can predict that reasonably, reasonably well. Um, and, and importantly, again, on time, on budget, some of those projects, you know, there's, 
we, we really, I think, dealt with any of the cost increases uh, from inflation very well and still have contingencies left to deal with anything else that comes our way, which, and, and they're pretty well done. So I, I think we're in, we're in good shape um, and very pleased and, and looking forward to more. Don, you think maybe I'll just add, you know, again, in terms of recognition, just reminder, you know, we, we have different stages of recognition. So while we have substantial completion in Davie Street and Leduc, uh, we still haven't reached stabilization for purposes of more fair value creation. So, you know, there are phases, as Donnie's pointed out, and with respect to uh, our Bronte, we, because we haven't reached substantial completion, that'll be a 2022 event for that recognition. But again, we do it in phases, not a... It's not like when we reach substantial completion, all of the fair value has been recognized. We do wait until we get to a stabilized point for that to happen. Right. And Mario, I'd say that we tend to err on the side of being conservative, which uh, hopefully, you know, speaks uh, well of the company. But it's it's not as aggressive as others. But it's the way we do it. We stick to a good process on valuation, and I think it works. For sure, we're uh, we're unaccustomed to seeing development yields go up in disclosure uh, as opposed to down within the space. Uh, so congratulations on that. Um, maybe a, a related question that uh, for for Clinton that perhaps uh, there isn't an answer for on the call, but I'll try it anyways. Uh, kind of similar question, but from an FFO perspective, given capitalized interest and so on and so forth. Uh, there, there presumably was a contribution from Zephyr in Q4 from an FFO standpoint, probably not very much from the Duke or Bronte. Uh, how, how should we think about uh, the FFO contribution from those three in aggregate, let's say in Q4, relative to what a stabilized quarterly FFO contribution could be? Like, wh where are we in that spectrum today? I think we're at the initial stages. It really ties into the lease up that drives that. And so while we have uh, Davy Street, you know, fully leased up. Uh, we still have room to go with Leduc and and Bronte just starting. So my view is you're in the early stages. Yes. We we would I would add Mara that we probably have obviously a drag uh, from Leduc uh, into our in our FFO at the moment, uh, given that it's still early days in the leasing. And once you've you've hit uh, substantial completion, you're starting to expense the interest. So it's it's the nature of the game in development. You have these projects in various stages and. Uh, until they hit a break-even point, uh, they're not really sort of—they're not break-even. So we're—we're—we have to, as I said in my remarks, we're pleased with the net growth of our, you know, our cash flow uh, for this stage of of the development, uh, you know, development cycle for our development. So, uh, which includes again some drag from development at this stage. And Mary, I would just add that. For 2022, for the aggregate of the three JVs, Davy, Duke, and Bronte, there will be a positive FFO contribution. It's modest, um, but we have growth projected in 2022, despite the fact that there's modest contribution, and we'll certainly start to see a ramp up in our FFO, AFFO from those projects in aggregate in 2023. Okay. Uh, maybe on the operational side, uh, could you provide a bit more color on the uh, 900,000 uh, lease termination fee this quarter, and whether that was a driver at all of the modest kind of 20 to 30 basis point quarter over quarter decline in occupancy in Q4. No, actually not. It was an isolated event. The decline in occupancy was one single tenant. So we're, we're pleased. It was a 37,000 square foot vacancy in Newfoundland, very low rent space. Um, it'll be space that we can repurpose, re-rent, and that moved our occupancy by about the 20 basis points that, that was detected. But the lease termination income was an isolated uh, event in the quarter unrelated to that uh, property and that, uh, that tenant. Got it. Okay. My, my last question, just on uh, on the parking side. Uh, I may have missed it, but where uh, where would the Q4 parking NOI have come in relative to Q4 19 levels, i.e. pre-pandemic? I think we're still running at that significant below. I'm trying to think of where we, I'd say it's where we were in Q4 of 2020, Mario, so probably still down 50, 60, 70%, Donnie, that's an estimate. But, you know, our office, so. we're fortunate, yeah, we're fortunate in, in Scotia Square, we probably have... Uh, prior to Omicron, we were getting up to 25-30%, you know, office population returns. We were seeing a bit of upward trend, but then late in the calendar year with Omicron, uh, we were back to lower levels. So we're, that's still the drag. That's our only COVID drag, I would say, that exists today with our strong rent collections at 99% for, for Q4 and virtually no bad debt expense in the quarter. 
um, but parking is still a drag. That should be a pickup here in 2022. Nova Scotia just announced uh, March 21st restrictions being removed, so that should be a positive catalyst for people getting back into the complex and seeing our parking revenue heading in the right direction. And where the parking complex is adjacent to the events facility with hockey, et cetera, basketball, a variety of concerts, et cetera. So, uh, you know, that'll, that, that's totally been nullified through COVID. And uh, so, again, I think it, it is after March 21st when restrictions come off, we'll, we'll start to see people have their confidence to get out and start doing things like they did previous to COVID. Okay, great. I've got a couple more, but I'll uh, turn it back into the queue and then I'll, I'll come back as needed. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Mario. Your next question comes from Howard Long with Veritas. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to turn to uh, the, uh, the Toronto um, major developments. So now that uh, the Bronte one looks like it's, it's about to be finished, and what's, what's, what's your thoughts with um, some of the other Toronto developments that are in the pipeline? You know, lo lo looking at them, and, and you also added uh, Broadview recently, but... Um, they're in the pre-planning phase, you know, so are you getting more comfort around, you know, developing in the Toronto CMA and, you know, are you thinking of advancing those zoning applications more or, you know, are you a little more cautious? You know, you said earlier Toronto rents haven't moved as much and there are there is cost inflation. So how do you balance the two and, and what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, our, our thoughts is that we're we're bullish on the major urban markets in Canada and I'd say Toronto, Vancouver lead the way. We We also have great properties in Halifax, which has had extraordinary um, market dynamics over the last five years in terms of population growth and rental growth. And so it's a great market. So uh, even though it's, you know, sort of, uh, it's a, a major market, not part of the Vectom group. So, and in Toronto specifically, we're working very hard. Uh, we've got a number of sites. They're all I guess seeing that dynamic of municipalities wanting to increase density and trying to figure out very these nodes at major transit sites uh, and and moving so you know unfortunately a little slower than we'd like but nevertheless we're, we're very focused on it. We've got a number of sites now in Toronto and uh, we'll keep it going. Uh, but it, you know development's a long game, right? And especially working with municipalities, we've seen delays you know in a number of cases and that's just the way development works. We've all been around the game a long time, so. But Toronto will keep pushing. It's a great market. Uh, I think it's one of the truly, call it top 10 markets in the world, uh, not necessarily just on population, but I think because of, you know, the political stability and uh, the safety and, and, and ability to invest capital, I think Toronto is really a world-class market uh, that you see in large pension funds globally wanting to be, be there. So for us to invest there and, in, you know, housing that's where there's housing shortage, uh, you know, on a transit node with grocery, it's an excellent formula that I think uh, is one of the best investments you can make in the country. So Howard will be, will be enthusiastic. Yeah. I know. And Howard, I would just add to that that uh, just add to that that Toronto is also a market where there's opportunities for, in addition to residential mixed-use development, we've developed spokes there for the Sobeys Voila program. Still, work, more work in progress there for us, and also the retail development potential in GTA. So we've got a good. Uh, multi-faceted approach for development uh, in GTA. Right. So I guess if you could move faster, you would, but, you know, the zoning kind of touched on that. That's, a, that's one of the potential barriers. Yep. Yeah, but it's a barrier for everybody. So uh, it's, it's yeah. part of the difficulty of doing it, but it's a moat to some degree. So For sure. I mean, and, uh, yeah, the housing supply is, uh, is exacerbated. Um, I just want to turn to the uh, the question about spokes and, um, you know, noted that uh, you, you have a few um, that are under construction and should be completed in 2022, Ottawa, uh, Quebec. Um, and uh, can you just remind us of the economics of the, those spokes and how they might, you know, be similar or different from, you know, a typical grocery store and maybe what the, um, what the impact may be to, you know, uh, 2023 NOI or or uh, FFO could be? Sure. Well, they're not as large, Howard, as, as major development investments. They vary in size. They can be in the 10 plus million dollar range and uh, they vary. But we bill those to a spread uh, over uh, a market cap rate. So from a return point of view, they give us a nice a positive uh, return to con contribute to FFO and AFFO. 
and of course uh, the very strong covenant tenant in Sobeys. So it's very low risk, uh, important development in that retail related industrial class, which has grown more precious. And we've seen nice cap rate compression as evidenced by the very successful transaction on CFC2. As Donnie said, it just demonstrated how that NAV creation was monetized and uh, a positive event. But not much more to add. It's not as large a part of the development program, but it's a very nice contributor. And uh, we can do as many as those as we can do. We're, we're happy to develop them. Right, right. So I guess going forward, you know, we, we I, I, it's probably nothing, nothing um, official yet, but we can expect maybe a few of these every year or something like that as, as the, uh, as the hub and spoke network continues to, to be built out. Now that's a, that's more a question for Sobeys in terms of how many uh, there will be, but I would assume there'll be a certain finite number uh, over time. But uh, for example, we're finishing and we haven't spoke about it today, but CFC3, which is the hub in uh, Calgary, which we're building, uh, we're well under construction there. There's potential for uh, spokes in Western Canada uh, on that basis. But I don't want to speak for Sobeys, but we're just delighted with the opportunity that we've had to be a participant in the Voila program. It's been great for Crombie. Yeah, fair enough. No, thanks for the uh, responses. I'll uh, turn it back. Your next question comes from Jenny Ma with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Uh, you know, in past years, you've talked about your acquisition opportunities being in the, the $100 million range from Empire and $100 million from third parties. Now, I know the last couple of years, um, the environment's been different, but even before then, you were tracking a little bit lower. So I was hoping you give us an update on your thoughts uh, about that $100 million piece, particularly from Empire. Is that something you still stand by, or, or has it evolved and been supplanted by the, the 100 to $200 million of modernization projects that you do for Empire? Jenny, I'd say, you know, our capital uh, allocation, we've been trying to be clear on it. It's hard, it, it, but we gave a wide range, 100 to 200 million spending on SOBEs, which is a combination of the acquisitions and the modernization, the expansions, conversions. And in some cases, it's, it, 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 I think the spokes and hubs are generally in our development spend from time to time as it did in the fault of the SOBE spend, but it's generally in that range. And, uh, you know, we're, We've been consistent, I think, for the last few years in that range. And then on the development side, as you know, we're targeting spending of 150 to 250 million a year. Uh, and importantly, the, you know, the last couple of years, we've probably been at the upper end of that range. This year, we'll be certainly in that range, but maybe a little closer to the lower end of the range. But again, it's trying to drive consistency at scale for a growing company. Um, and, and the spending, I think, is a very balanced uh, type of spend um, and balanced approach to investment and that with the Sobeys, you get the secure tenant, you start on second base, you own the site, you already have the tenant. So then it's really just, can you build it reasonably well? And, uh, and, and then the yields are good, right? They're six to 7%. Uh, and then in the development, they're five and a half to six. Um, but, you know, they're, they're a little higher risk um, and, you know, they take longer, they take two, three years. Um, but the returns in terms of the spreads to acquisition cap rates are in that 200 to 250 basis point spread, whereas in the other, they're probably 100 to 150 basis point spread. So for us, there's balance of risk, return, and the return is both AFFO growth uh, and NAV growth. And, and I'll also say in the SOBEs and some of the smaller spending on development, they only take, you know, in some cases, six months, right, or 12, whereas the development takes 24 to 36 months. So you just by balancing that investment, I think we get a very strong profile of growth on both AFFO and NAV, and, and then also balancing, importantly, our, our balance sheet, uh, you know, metrics so that we're, you know, we want to obviously stay investment grade, but I think more importantly, move to triple B mid over time. And, and, and again, this, this capital allocation plan, as we've communicated and delivered on now over the last three, four years, and will we expect deliver again in 2022 and through 23 and 4, I think it just delivers that, that solid, predictable growth and, uh, and in a reasonably conservative uh, or prudent manner is what our hope is. Okay, so I, I guess when we, when we go into that acquisition piece, then um, if, I'm, if I'm interpreting your comments correctly, it seems like there's a better opportunity, uh, and of course it's going to be a mix from Empire, but a better opportunity coming from some of the intensification and, and, and spoke related work uh, as opposed to straight acquisition. Is that, is that something, is that fair to say? 
yeah, I'd, I'd say it's, you know, I'd say better. They're, they're all good because what we're doing is working with Sobeys to say what's most important to them. And if we buy a store, it's a great store. We looked at that as a win, even if we're paying, call it close to market. The modernizations and some of the investments on conversions, they're at a better spread. Um, you know, they would be, like I said, 6 to 7% yield on cost where the average cap rate might be five, five and a half. So you end up with a slightly wider spread um, and you get a renewal of the lease for uh, to 20 years again. So for us, it's, it's a balance of those two, but we'll always do what's best for, you know, ourselves and for Sobe. So acquiring a store, that's a great store. We will do that as you've seen us do, uh, you know, over the last few years. So I'd say it's a balance, Jenny. I hate to be uh, <laughs> a little bit vague. I, I Just to add that, but Jenny, just to add to Donnie's comments, so the, in their subsequent event note, the acquisitions that occurred early in 2022, because they're fresh in mind, those were stellar Sobeys uh, stores, get fresh 15 or 20 year terms with economic arrangements that give us nice growth for AFFO. So it's a very accretive um, help to our earnings and they're very strong stores um, you know, in, in the markets that they're in. So we're pleased to allocate some of our capital to to that in addition to all the other areas that Donnie said that can be maybe even more creative than that. Okay, great. Uh, that's, that's helpful color. Thank you. Um, want to turn back uh, briefly to the parking revenues. It sounds like uh, there's a big component of it that is um, event driven. Could you give us a breakdown of what would be the driver of the parking revenue recovery? Is it largely that? How much of it is office related, uh, therefore return to office and how much of it would be retail traffic related? I'd probably have to get back to you with exact specific, Jenny, but I would say the event part is significant. We've actually had, as well as we've had 100% rent collection from our office tenants, to the extent that we've had parking leasing going attached to that office, that has been revenue and paid. But we may have had a number of office tenants that would have given up parking uh, during the COVID period. So I would say I'd have to check the details, but the event portion virtually evaporated um during COVID, so that would be the by far the largest recovery piece okay. but i would be happy to get back to you with details uh, after the call sure uh, and then my last question is related to the residential lease up and i know we've got a small sample size with a couple of buildings that are still an, an active lease up but just given some of the the, the strength in the rental market and uh, considering the cost of uh, home ownership, it looks like it's a pretty good setup for 2022. Um, as you or your partners are leasing up these assets, how are you, you know, how how are you approaching it? If someone is willing to pay your asking rent, you know, are you are you leasing as much as you can, or uh, is there any holdback of units in anticipation of a firmer spring and summer season? Um, what's the cadence of of lease up we should expect? It's a great question. I think it varies by market, varies by property. Davy Street was just a smashing success, at least up very quickly at rents materially above pro forma. So that one's an anomalous um, situation that we're very proud of and we're continuing to be plus or minus 100% occupied. I think the, with Duke and Bronte, and luckily at Duke and Bronte, we're off to a good start. We're nicely above pro forma on Bronte and well and above pro forma also at Duke. So early days, getting achieving the rents in our pro forma is not going to be the issue. I think there could be, though, a trade-off between rental rate and leasing velocity, and it'll be very iterative. We have a big project in Oakville, 482 units. Our game plan will be to stabilize that asset, Jenny, as fast as we can. So I don't think strategically we would hold back units for a better leasing uh, opportunity. I think it's important to get the sense of community built in the property, so get it built, uh, get it fully occupied as, as quickly as possible. I think as we gain momentum and leasing up a uh, building A, and building B, by the way, will come to market uh, in March, um, our game plan will be to lease those at appropriate rents and to uh, get to uh, stabilization as quickly as possible. We're targeting that Bronte because the 480 units will take into 2023 to get fully stabilized, whereas Duke, more likely than not, will be fully stabilized in 2022. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's iterative as we go along, but at this point we're confident because rental rate uh, does not appear to be an issue in either of the properties, and maybe that speaks to our conservatism and our pro formas, but we're very happy with the rental rates and we think we can move uh, leasing velocity along nicely at, at both projects as well. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jenny.
Your next question comes from Sumaya Syed with CIBC. Please go ahead. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Um, just wanted to start off uh, with the transaction market and uh, hoping you can share what you're seeing in terms of deals that have happened recently and with um, cap rates having come down 20, 30 basis points over the last year, if you think downward pressure still exists there? Yeah, it's, it's Donnie, Samaya. Um, where we play uh, in terms of it are the three best markets in the country, in my mind, being grocery-anchored retail, industrial, and apartments. And I think the order on those has shifted over the last 12 months. Uh, I've seen grocery ahead and, and industrial ahead and apartment ahead from time to time. Uh, but we're pleased that what we're doing, our focus of our capital allocation is in those three areas. Uh, and everybody knows about industrial and apartments and what's happening there, but they don't always realize that retail is bifurcated uh, and that grocery anchored retail is in a class in my mind of its own. Uh, and we've seen cap rates over the last 12 months to 24 months, we've seen some deals where cap rates have compressed actually over 100 basis points in grocery. Uh, and that's including secondary and tertiary market grocery. So people looking for long-term covenant, uh, long-term leases with covenant tenants. Uh, and so, you know, our, our fair value and cap rate compression was positive in 2021. It certainly wasn't anywhere near 100 basis points. It was a very small fraction of that. But I think just in general, there is strong interest uh, in those types of properties. And so uh, the markets are wide open to transact uh, and uh, lots of great players looking for those types of assets if you, you want to end it. Uh, so yeah, so it's 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 a, I'll call it a very buoyant factor for for our company. Uh, and, and I will say to our management team's credit is that we've curated the portfolio. Right when uh, we looked at our portfolio back in 2007, 8, 9, I recall it's a long time ago. But there were a lot of different types of centers, enclosed centers, power centers, a variety of types. Uh, and uh, today we just you know we're, we're really down basically to. To, to, to three, I mean, we do have one call it small portion, three, four percent of our portfolio is office and three or four percent is one enclosed center. But both of those are powerful, strong assets in the markets. But the rest of what we own are those three categories, which uh, I think has been curated and, uh, and, and evolved over time in a very positive way for us and will continue to do so. The interest is strong. Okay, thank you. Um, and then I wanted to touch on Avalon Mall coming up to stabilization. Um, obviously not been many bars of malls until some recent new entrants. Uh, just wondering what are your updated thoughts on it, uh, if any, on that, on the mall's place uh, in the portfolio going forward? Well, we're extremely proud of Avalon Mall, Samaya. Um, you know, the redevelopment area is about 94% occupied, so it was 201,000 feet We've leased 188,000, so we just have 13,000 feet left to lease in the redeveloped area, call it the old Sears area. The mall overall, it's about 560,000 feet. We're 96% leased, uh, so we're really proud. It had a very strong performance during COVID. Newfoundland and Labrador was generally very fortunate uh, during COVID. Omicron was probably the only phase of COVID that actually affected Newfoundland more materially. But we've had strong Christmas. We've had very strong performance. The leasing team has done a great job. Um, we've got you know, tenants at Avalon Mall that have had the strongest same-store sales in the world of their brand you know, on particular weeks out of Avalon Mall. So that says something for the buoyancy there. So we're proud of the mall and uh, are going to continue to operate it to the best of our ability with a fantastic team on the ground in Newfoundland and Labrador and, and led also by our leasing team that supports the, the folks on the island. Okay, great. Uh, that's all for me. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Tal Woodley with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi there. Most of my questions have been answered. Um, I guess my last one would just be uh, when you're looking at, you know, you've got a fairly large-scale development program. We are in an inflationary cost environment. What are some of the things that you can do to sort of leverage uh, the size of, uh, you know, the budget you have to try and contain uh, growth and cost over the next, over the next couple of years? 
Great question, Tal. I don't know. I mean, honestly, inflation's inflation. It's it's been, you know, in some of the communities we're playing in, it's as much as 10 or 15, 20%, and it has been that way for quite a while. Um, but the good news is that rents continue to grow, um, and we passed most of that cost on to the consumer. Uh, and then importantly for us, when we look at these projects, you know, we, we – we have a wide spread or wider spread than uh, others. We're, we're fortunate for that, and that we're able to build a five and a half, six percent yield on cost. Uh, you know, in markets that were, you know, whatever mixed use residential trades at a three cap or three and a half cap, in some cases it starts with a two. So for us, it's that, that I look at it that as a margin of safety. Um, and so that's the starting point. If it narrows because of inflation, it's still a wide gap. I, I challenge most people to look around and have a look at some of the, you know, residential REITs and or uh, other, you know, private uh, developers. And some of them, I'd say, are building at spreads that are less than 100 basis points today, uh, despite the risks involved, even with inflation, just because they need scale and, 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 and they see rental growth that's superior over the long term. So, uh, we start with a widespread, and uh, we work very hard. We've got good teams, really good teams in construction and locking in our uh, major contracts, which we we did very early on all of our first three projects. Uh, we'll do again, uh, and those locking in prices has been extremely successful. We also carry wide contingencies. Uh, I don't think we're going to use any – in all three cases of our first development, I don't think we're using 100% of the development contingency uh on any of those projects it's you know we've, we've been very conservative and and those are built those wide contingencies are built into the you know spreads we're giving you so for us it's it's conservative 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 and, and in an inflationary environment i i don't honestly think it'll continue in in, in the macro economy at that level but it, it's it's hard to know um, but the good news again it's population growth is high most of it goes to where we have sites. Our sites are some of the best in the markets. I think at the end of the day, we'll be fine, right? And uh, and a lot of these properties have three to five percent rental growth. That if you make a mistake and you end up with a hundred hundred fifty basis point spread instead of two two fifty, you know, three years from now, three to five percent growth, you'll be fine, right? And and it's good high quality cash flow. That's some of the best in the country. So um, anyway, I, I don't know if I've answered it for you, but it's I, I think it's just really macro where we're investing has still has very good dynamics. So I know Glenn wants to jump in too. Just a comment. I, that was great, Donnie. I, two things I would say. We, we disclosed in the MD&A towel that our pipeline of 31 properties, while we await development, generates a 4.8% yield on cost. So our development pipeline is not burning a hole in our pocket from an earnings point of view. My point is that doesn't answer the inflation question. But it just speaks to the fact that we have a pipeline that's very efficient. And what Donnie spoke to, we've got a number of properties where the reason why we have this advantage is we have properties we spend $20 million for, where the land may be worth 50, 60, 80, 100 million dollars. So we have that land cost advantage going into some of our deals where if there is a bit of inflation, we still have the advantage of starting on second base with that lower cost base of land. We're not buying land for our pipeline at full fair value and then seeking development. So I think those those things enable us to deal with inflation, you know, as well as anyone can. And your your development yield when you quote them, it's on a it's on your cost base for land. It's not a market. It's not a market for land. Is that correct? Uh, it's based on market. Yes. Okay, so you've made you made the cost adjustment for right. the land your budget. Yeah. Okay, got. It. And then uh, just lastly, and I apologize, I missed the first couple of minutes, and maybe you already addressed this. Do you have a disposition target for this year? We don't generally give guidance, but I, I, you know, but we always generally tell people we look for opportunities, uh, which, you know, again, multiple sources of capital. So from a funding point of view, we'll look at it. You know, we've already done an equity issue, but we'll look at dispositions as part of that plan. Um, and again, they fit into a bunch of categories, non-core, and then with core, it's partial dispositions. And with that, we primarily focus around, I'll call it lower growth uh, type of uh, assets. Um, so there will be some, I would say, uh, Cal. So, yeah, there'll be some. I just can't give you guidance on a number. Okay. That's perfect. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Cal. Thanks, Cal. Your next question comes from Alex Leon with Desjardins. Please go ahead. 
Good afternoon. Uh, just a quick housekeeping item for me. Uh, what was the fair value adjustment component that was at base cost this quarter? Could you just, I couldn't quite hear, Alan, right at the end there. Could you I couldn't quite hear Yeah. What was the fair uh, value what? The increase? fair value adjustment component that was included in unit based comp. I'll have to get back to you on that one, okay? Okay. Yeah, I don't, uh, uh, unit base, oh, okay, you're saying fair value of our unit price. Is I'll what you're thinking. Okay. Yeah, we can dig it up and get it for you. Yep. Thanks. Your next question comes from Pammy Brer with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, good good afternoon. Uh, Glenn, I like the uh, uh, starting at second base, uh, regarding your comment on the land. Um, maybe just on, on the two projects where you've submitted applications, Broadway, what can you share with us in terms of the process is going there and that um, any sense or any updated sense of timing, of, you know, when um, at least um, Broadway may get closer to um, approval? Um, I can't really, uh, Palmy, unfortunately, I mean, Broadway, it's very public. What's, what's going on it's a large project it's you know between five and six hundred million dollar project it's, it's very significant but we're in the planning phase with the city and we're trying to get it to a public hearing uh we're working very closely with our partner west bank uh ian gillespie who's uh the, our, our principal partner there has been you know down this road many times and um you know we're working very hard with the city and 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 uh and, and council to help people understand that this is, I think, a great project uh, for the, the neighborhood. Uh, it's the number one transit site in all of Western Canada and is a natural place for there to be density because people don't need cars, they can use public transit uh, to get to anywhere in Vancouver, which is rare. Um, so for us, it's a terrific site um, and we continue to work it. Um, you know, we're hopeful we'll get it to a public hearing sometime in the next six months, if I can say that. Um, and, uh, and, but we'll see again, it's, it's a process that's driven by the city and we have to respect that. Uh, and, uh, and we'll continue to work it with our partner. Our partner's really leading it, to be honest, and, uh, and doing an outstanding job of helping people understand how it'll contribute to, uh, you know, Vancouver as a whole, but the local community as well, uh, and offer, I think a lot of substantial benefits, great public space. Uh, great amenities, uh, and enhance what's there, which is really a, a very good grocery store, but it's just simply a grocery store. And, and this is a, a much, I think, improved use of the site. So, but we have still have some work to do and that's normal in development, right? This is a big project, so it takes time. Got it. Um, can you remind us again, what sort of density you were, you're looking to, um, uh, for that site? I think it's, forgive me off the top of my head, I'm thinking it's a, Five to six FAR, yes. uh, somewhere in that That's range, correct. I think was the number. Yeah. Yep. That's around five uh, eight, I think, Donnie. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, not okay. as high as you're seeing in other areas of Vancouver, right? We're seeing other areas be seven or eight. Um, so it's actually a lower density than what we're seeing elsewhere. And sorry, what was sorry? What did that translate to in terms of square footage or buildable square footage? You're going to have to forgive me again, just off the top of my head. I can't recall the. We'll get back to you, Tommy. We'll get back to your footage. Okay. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Uh, I realize we've hit the 60 minute mark again. <laughs> um, last question for me, just a bit of a theor theoretical or accounting question. You know, I know you provide some disclosure, but just curious if you have given any more thought to formally shifting to, to fair value accounting for your investment properties uh, in the actual statements or just. Or is the plan just to continue to, you know, disclose that you have, uh, you know, the, the fair value in your gross book value calculation? So I could, yeah, we, we've had the conversations, but our, our plan is to continue with our current disclosures at this time. Thanks very much. I will turn it back. And Tommy, just a quick answer: the the density build out at Broadway would be over 600,000 feet, based on the FSR estimate that we gave you. Thanks, Glenn. Your next question is a follow-up from Mario Sarek with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, um, sorry, just one more quick one for me. Um, 
about back in early February, Empire announced uh, another CFC in Vancouver, which, uh, to my understanding, Crombie is not involved with. So just curious, given you've done two of them uh, with, with Empire, what the kind of discussion thought process was uh, with respect to Vancouver. You know, uh, Mario, it's uh, it's an evolving process. Land's extremely expensive in Vancouver, and it's ex tightly controlled by developers. And uh, so we work very closely with Empire on, uh, you know, their whole strategic plan, including where they put their CFCs. But just like Toronto, um, you know, certain sites are available, and certain, you know, it's 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 it, whether Crombie can become a partner or not isn't always our our decision. Uh, and uh, we'll do our best to uh, contribute. I think we're going to be actually working very closely with Sobeys on the build-out. We've developed, I think, a very strong um, team uh, with expertise around the hub construction. So we'll contribute, um, and at some point, you know, you never know. We might end up owning uh, uh, at some point in the future a piece of that, but maybe not also. But importantly, we'll be looking for spokes. Uh, their whole spoke network is driven by AI, so... It's, uh, you know, in traffic, et cetera, is considered and population growth is considered. So we're, we're excited even about that opportunity in, in Vancouver uh, because the spokes will be more expensive there and still, again, another opportunity to, for Crombie to invest. So you can't get everything. Uh, that's, that's, that's the truth in, in real estate. And uh, it's, it's just a, not our time on that particular site. But... I never say never when it comes to hopefully owning them. They're very strategic assets. We'd love to have a, a partial interest in it, but at this point, no. So, okay, make fun. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Thank you for your time today, and we look forward to updating you on our progress on our Q1 call in May. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.